0: we're continuing on in our Luke for Everyone series, and I was thinking about jobs. And I was thinking about how when someone has a job, and you see them in their job, that often you kind of think of them as that job, or in that job, and you have a hard time picturing them doing anything else. And so I thought maybe some of you might picture me this way. And you were, maybe you'd think of me like Pastor John. And if that's the only way you knew me, that's kind of what you'd what you'd think. You'd think, oh, John, he's a pastor. He's been a pastor. That's, has he done anything else? And I'd say, yes. I've done other things. And I wanted to share with you some of those other things. I had a paper route. That was my first job. <laughs> and I had an afternoon paper route, which I started in, and that was like the, you just took a big stack of papers, and you put them in the apartment. <coughs> and you got paid for each paper. It was an awesome job, yeah. And then I took on a morning paper route, and so then I was delivering in the early hours of the morning um, papers, and that was, that's a tough, dark job, you know, in the weather, and uh, I went, moved, I went on to, in high school, to being a bag boy, so I stood at the end, uh, maybe some of you don't know what that is, but we used to have bag boys who'd stand at the end of the thing, and they'd put the groceries in the bags for people, and then I moved up, and I was a stock clerk Uh, technical term is the stock clerk and I would put stuff on the shelves and that was a job I did Uh, and then I moved on into university and to support myself in university I was a water lily cultivator and so I worked for a guy on his property and he had a water lily business and so I cultivated water lilies I helped them grow I killed many And uh, before he realized I don't have a green thumb, and then, you know, I went on to other landscaping things around the property, and that was one of the jobs I had. Another job I had was an English second language teacher. So that was my idea of how I was going to go into the nations and be a missionary overseas was I was going to be an English second language teacher because I was like, what can I do? I don't know. I can teach and I can speak English. Put them together. That's a great job. Let's go. People want to learn English. So well we went in a little bit. I did some overseas. And we also did, I also taught I- in Langley um, at the Trinity Western, at the school at Trinity Western. And um, another thing I did after that was I was a real estate assistant. And I worked with um, a development doing their kind of marketing and sales and stuff for development. So those are many different jobs that I had. And uh, I was also thinking about Jesus. And I was thinking about all the stuff Jesus has done. And I was thinking about how sometimes we put a a word onto a job or a description of something. And I was thinking, what would be um, some the words we would say? What would be Jesus' jobs? What would be the things we would say that were Jesus' job? And... um, and so I was, lo- we were look- I was looking at Luke, and I was summarizing kind of where we've been, what we've been through, and I looked at um, the things Jesus has done. He heals the sick, and he frees the demon-possessed, and he heals the paralytic, and he raises the dead, and he heals lepers. So far in Luke, he's done all that. And so I could, we could say he's a critical illness recovery specialist. <laughs> we could put that, if we wanted to put a nice term for a business card, we could give to Jesus. Or another thing he does, he's done is he. Ca- he's called disciples. He's called people to follow him. He called Levi or Matthew, the tax collector, and then he chose 12 out of the big group, and he called those people to be his disciples, and so we could call him the church recruitment and training officer, maybe, because they're going to be the ones who lead the church. He's also gone around in different towns and synagogues, and he's preached, and he's brought this message, and he's preached the Sermon on the Mount in Luke already. And so he's done all those things. So I was thinking he could be the public communications purveyor or preacher. Just preacher would be easier, but wouldn't sound quite as good. I had already, Kirsty asked me, what's a purveyor? I was like, don't look up that word. It just sounded good. He also, in Luke so far, he's made people angry, and people have wanted to kill him, and he's offended his hometown, and he's offended many Pharisees in different situations over the Sabbath and over... Well, the people he's hanging out with and different things. And so we could call him, uh, what would that be? A politician or <laughs> who offends people? I don't know. What would, it, what would it be? We arrive at chapter 8. Jesus has done all sorts of stuff. Actually, the list of things is so long of all the stuff Jesus has done and experienced so far already in Luke. And in chapter 8, we get to this passage and the question really is continues to be, who is Jesus and what's he about? And we continue to see this story unveiling. So let's, if you have your Bible, you can turn with me or I'll read it to you. But uh, Luke chapter 8 is where we are. Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. So now we just, we've just coming out of that story last week where the sinful woman came in and Jesus was at the Pharisee's house and he's washed, she washed his feet. And uh, he said to the woman, Your faith is saved, you go in peace. And then chapter 8 starts. Soon afterwards, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Shuza, Herod's house, household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And then we, we would go on. Usually we'd go on. I would go on. I'm like, you, we can't preach about this, can we? This isn't, th- who, who drew these lines? Uh, who, who decided I was going to preach about this? <laughs> it was me. <laughs> Why are we stopping here? Usually if I was reading, I, this would be like the little blurb you'd skip over and read quickly and then you get into the story. I want to read this story, or I want to—I want to hear a parable, and we got an awesome parable coming up. So, why are we camped here? What, what's why do why does he mention these women and this little thing, this little blurb? Why is it there? I think it's there because um, we have a series titled Luke for Everyone, and this good news is about the good news of the kingdom for everyone, for men and for women and for children, and for young people, and old people, and outcasts, and the dispossessed, and the orphans. This is the message of good news. The big idea this morning is that we're invited to proclaim and practice the kingdom like Jesus. We're invited to proclaim and practice the kingdom like Jesus. And so my first Jesus title would be Jesus is a publicist. If we're going with the, the job titles. And I was thinking about what, jo- what job title would I put on this part? And I, and I was thinking about them, and I was thinking about, like, sales guru. And I was like, no, Jesus isn't selling anything. He's not trying to sell something to someone. And then I thought about it. I was like, oh, yeah, he could be a, a marketing whiz. Yeah, he's like, psh And then I was like, no, that sounds like he's spinning something. He's trying to, like, present something a certain way. And that's not Jesus either. And so then I was thinking, and I was like, is he a herald? Maybe he's a herald. And I looked up the word herald, and that's someone who's proclaiming something that's coming. And so I thought, no, that's kind of John. John was the one proclaiming something coming. Jesus is proclaiming something that is here. It's here, and it's still coming, too. So what is that? And then I thought, maybe publicist fits that the best. You can argue with me after. But for now, that's the word I put up there. You know, it's a common phrase for us to say we want to be more like Jesus. We're going to be more like Jesus. I want to be more like Jesus. You should be more like Jesus, right? And what do we mean by that? Usually we mean you would be more kind and loving and nicer, a better person. That's usually what we mean when we say you should be more like Jesus. But what does Jesus give us his job description? We talk about it a lot, Here, because it's one of the verses where our name is founded on, Jubilee. It's the Jesus proclamation of Jubilee, and it's found in Luke. Yay, we're in Luke. Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. And if you've been here for a while, you've heard it before. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And in this passage, four out of five things are proclamation. They are things Jesus is proclaiming. He says he's going to proclaim good news. He's going to proclaim liberty. He's going to proclaim recovery of sight or restoration for people. To proclaim the year of God's favor. Or we could say grace. God's grace, his favor. And so Jesus talks and he preaches and he teaches and he explains and he tells stories and he illuminates this thing that is the kingdom. He makes known the kingdom as it's here and it's arriving. And he does this with words. Lots of times with words. And it's I think if these things are important to Jesus, if Jesus says this is what he's about and we're saying we want to be like Jesus, then these things should also be important to us and to our lives and how our lives look as we're trying to be like Jesus. Jesus commands his disciples. He says in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. That's the command he gives to his disciples. They're like, well, what, what are we doing? Go into all the world and preach the gospel, the good news. That's the gospel to all creation. And Paul reasons in his letter to the Romans, he's writing to the Christian church in in Rome, and he says this, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Paul's saying, "We, we have to be Communicating this message or how is anyone going to know? So Clearly if jesus is about this and we're supposed to be about this and we're commanded to be about this But the question then comes for me is well, what are we proclaiming if I said okay everyone go out and proclaim the gospel the good news people would be like, okay Which good news is that I'm just confused which one which thing I'm not. uh, which thing? And you know what I did is I looked in the Bible and I looked up every place in the Bible, maybe not every place, but a lot of places in the Bible, where it says that we're supposed to proclaim something. And these are the things, I'm going to apologize to our sign language interpreter for the list I'm going to read out right now. That's my pre-apology. These are the things we're to proclaim that are in the Bible. We're to proclaim his name, his great deeds, his name as exalted, the mighty acts of God, his salvation, his righteousness, the power of God, the works of God, his love, his faithfulness, his righteous deeds, his praise, what the Lord has done, good news to the poor, freedom for the captives, release from darkness, the year of the Lord's favor, his saving acts, the kingdom of God, the message concerning faith, The gospel of God, or the gospel of Jesus, about Jesus Christ, testimony about God, the Lord's death, as in communion, the gospel without fear, the mystery of Christ, the good news of Jesus as the Messiah, the Messiah, the good news of the kingdom of God, the name of Jesus, the word of the Lord, forgiveness of sins through Jesus, the whole will of God, and the kingdom of God. Now, does that make it clear for you? I read this list, and I'm like, what? I'm going to do that? How am I supposed to do that? That sounds like hard. Well, am I going to carry this list around, and every day I'm going to go into the schoolyard, and when I'm dropping off my kids, and be like, oh, okay. Which one? Okay, the good news of the kingdom of God. I'm going to proclaim that right now. Or, okay, the gospel without fear right now. How do I, what? I, I... It sounds hard to me, especially if you're a person who struggles with, like, you don't feel like you're an evangelist. Don't feel like you're that kind of person. Then this list, if I give it to you, seems really hard and scary. Now, here's the thing. Here it is. Everyone calm down. Deep breath. Breathe. Okay. Okay. Here's the thing. You're not going to be able to talk about what you haven't experienced. I mean, you can. It's just not very convincing. Lauren I- is a Norwex consultant. I don't know if you know that, but she's not like a practicing Norwex consultant. She has like a computer business now. But a few years ago, she was like going and doing. Um, where is she? She's not here. Okay, good. She was, she was, um, she, was she would go and do shows and, and present Norwex. I don't know if you know what Norwex is. It's like these little cloths, these natural products, cloths, especially cloths. Feel like I'm doing this a real bad job, but not trying to sell you Norwex. So she, there are these cloths that are really natural, and you, you clean with them, and they're it's natural, and they're like super amazing. And so what happened was, Lauren went to a Norwex show, and she came back with some cloths, which she said she wasn't gonna do. She did. She came back with cloths anyway, and then she was using them. And then we would have anyone would come over to our house; they'd be sitting in our living room, and Lauren would start talking about Norwex, and be like, "Stop it! Stop it!" And then she'd be like, no, no, you got to see this. Come on, everyone come in the kitchen. And she would bring everyone from our living room into the kitchen, and then she'd start cleaning things. She'd be like, look at this. Look, I know, I know. Look at that. And people would say, wow, that's amazing. Oh, Where can I get this? And she'd say, here's the card of the Norwex consultant. And she st- was giving out so many cards, and I started being like, wait a minute. You were like selling her stuff. Like, you should do this. Look at you. And she's like, I'm not a salesperson. I'm like, what are you doing? Every day you're like selling this not even on purpose because it's changed your life. And she's like, oh, okay, that's amazing. So she started selling Norwex, talking about how awesome it was. And now what happened was she ended up with a consultant under her. And so she said, okay, I'll come to your first show and we'll, you know, we'll, I'll give you, encourage you and give you feedback. And she went to this show and what she found was this lady presented the show, only she didn't own any of the products. She had just seen them and really liked them and so she thought, I'll do this and that's how I'll end up being able to buy these products. So she talked about Norwex from the flyer. She talked about the claws from the little booklet. Now what do you think is more convincing? Someone who's reading to you from the flyer, which you could read, or someone who explains how they've been impacted and their lives been changed by something. This is, the, this is the thing we're called to do. This is what John says in First John, his letter to uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. This is what he says. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. He goes on to say the life appeared which we have seen it and testify to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us and we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ and then he says this we write this to make our joy complete. We write this to make our joy complete. It's not all up there. John proclaims this. He says, I'm proclaiming what I've seen and heard and touched. Now, John was there. He got to see and hear and touch Jesus. So that's a little different than what we are seeing and hearing and talking about. Different except for similar. Because if you are going around and you're getting this list of all these things you need to proclaim and you're trying to get it just right and make sure you say it just right and make sure no one asks you a question you can't answer, how are you going to do that? No, what we should focus on is not getting that list just right and figuring out exactly what to say, but we should be pursuing the living God. And as we experience him, as our lives are transformed by him, as we come to love him and know him more, and our lives change, then when we talk about this stuff, wow, well, that's different. When I'm talking, oh, my life's been changed. Wow, yeah, I used to be really afraid. But you know what? God has met me there. Yeah, and I'm still working through my anxiety. Or I'm working through this, but God's meeting me in this. And we begin to share about good news that's changing us. What you've experienced, you'll want to share. And Jesus is an activist. Jesus is an activist. Now, when I think of the word activist, I picture people in a boat with a green police fag, and they're ramming whaling ships. That's what I picture. Or I picture back in the day where people wore mink coats. Someone run up and spray paint the coat. That was like, that's how I picture an activist. I picture people who are adamant and they're they're angry about injustice and they're going to fight and they're going to work against injustice for the oppressed. And they're going to stand up for whatever they think, wherever there's no voice, that's what they're standing up and fighting for. I don't picture Jesus letting some women come along with him on the journey. That's not what I picture. And yet, that's what's happening. In order to understand just how crazy this was, you have to know the context. And for us, I think, anytime you're looking back at history, there's an element of like, we can apply our own culture, we can apply our own things, we can say, oh, that was so bad. Look at all those things that were bad. Or we can say, oh, that's so good. Look at all these things that are so good. But we weren't there, so often we coat it with like big brushes and probably that's not fair. So even as we look back at women in first century Judaism, we could say, oh, it was so bad for them. And that's probably not true. For some, it will be bad and some, they'll have experienced lots of life in it. And others, we could say, oh, this is so good. And we would say, well, that was so good for certain people or not. So let's put that in context. The truth is that um, there are some facts that we could look at and say that things were as, as good as the intentions could be That there are things that were difficult also So in, in many ways women were looked at As second class citizens So there's a prayer in the Talmud Which is the, the um, That's the thing they would pray from And uh, one of the prayers in it Is blessed are you Lord God of uh, Ruler of the universe Who has not created me A Gentile And then they prayed again And not created me a slave And not created me a woman those were the three things that a Jewish man praying through the Talmud prayer, he would say, I'm, I'm glad I'm not born on any of those. And the reason was, clearly, because those were the second-class citizens. That life experience was not as good as the one of a Jewish man. In many ways, they're treated like the property of men. So they were, although we could say there's lots of situations where women were respected in their families, there were also places where um, their rights were not protected by law. They were not allowed formal education. So if, if there was a little bit some places, but overall it was very little or no formal education. They weren't allowed to vote or hold political influence or to be witnesses in a court, of, in a court case. So a woman's word didn't count in court. One first century rabbi Eliezer says, Rather should the words of the Torah be burned than entrusted to a woman. Whoever teaches his daughter, the Torah is like one who teaches her lasciviousness. So that's the perspective, is they're over there and there's a line between them. So when Luke mentions that women are going along with Jesus, it's a big deal. It's revolutionary. It's shattering to them. It's counterculture. In fact, Luke has more references than any of the other gospels about the role of women. In Jesus ministry and how they work together. We often miss the impact or the importance because we don't notice it We just miss it. But to a a first century Christian Reading these accounts those things would stand out for them Stories like the Mary and Martha story So we know that story really well if you grew up in the church, you know that story really well Because it's a story we tell a lot and I'll tell it to you now if you've never heard it I'll tell it to you and then you can be one of those people who says I know that story really well Mary and Martha And it's the story where Jesus is going to the house, someone's house for dinner, and Mary and Martha's house. And so he goes in, and he's there with all of his disciples and all these different people crowd in, and he's in the room, and he's talking to them and speaking all this wisdom. And Martha is working hard to get the meal ready, and Mary is not. Where's Mary? Mary's not there. It's her house too. And Martha goes to find her, and she's listening to Jesus. And so Martha says to Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Make her come help me. Like, she's the, being lazy. She needs to come help. Like, I'm doing all the work, and she's not doing anything. And Jesus says, no, I'm not going to make her do that. In that famous passages, Jesus says, no, Mary has chosen the better thing, the good portion. Mary's chosen the better thing. And so we use that to talk about, you know, you shouldn't be like Martha, just working, working, working. You should come and worship Jesus and make sure you sit at his feet and, you know, The part we miss all the time is that Mary is a woman sitting at Jesus' feet in with all the guys, in the guys' room where all the guys are. And Jesus says it's okay for her to learn. So if Rabbi Eliezer was there, he would have a hairy conniption. (laughs) He, He would blow a gasket. Why is this woman here? This is not okay. Jesus says, it is okay. Actually, it's the better thing that she's here learning from me. So why does Luke mention women? Why does he ma- mention them traveling and following and supporting Jesus? It's because he's reinforcing his main idea, his big idea, which is that the gospel is good news for, that sounds like no one's heard of the big idea over and over and over. I say it every week, like you guys aren't, With me here. What is it? Big, is it good news for everyone? everyone. This is good news for everyone. Jesus is setting free the captives of every demographic, and for them, it could be as shattering as Him eating with tax collectors or Him touching lepers, is Him allowing Mary to sit at His feet and learn. Hardly, hardly ever do we see in all the endless genealogies women mentioned, and here. Luke is mentioning three women by name. It's the name. I get I, I, yeah, like, okay, yeah, there's some women along. Okay, good. That gives me the picture. And then Luke's like, yeah, and here's three of their names. Mary Magdalene. Yeah, and she's the one with the d- demon possessed. She was demon possessed. And Jesus set her free. Now, she's also the one that people say, oh, she was a prostitute, which I was looking, looking this up. And actually, there's no reference that she's a prostitute. So that's an assumption we make. And the reason why they made that assumption is because of the passage we read just before this about the sinful woman. And people put them together and there's a few other references where Mary washes Jesus' feet and they say, oh, these must be all the same thing. So that's not true. We don't know that that's true, that she is, that she could been, but sh- there's no evidence of that. The second person that Luke mentions is Joanna. So here's, so we got a demoniac, a person who was demon-possessed and set free by Jesus. And then we've got Joanna, who's this high-profile family who works for Herod. Like, well-known people in this high business job. And here's Joanna mentioned. And then, of course, Susanna. Susanna, famous Susanna, is well-known for, I don't know what she's known for. Because she just gets mentioned with her name. It was like, Luke's like, who else was there? Who else? Susanna! I like, she was a nice girl. I'm going to write down Susanna. <laughs> like... Mary, Joanna, and Susanna. They get named by by name. That's powerful. That's a big deal. You know what? When Joel prophesies, the prophet Joel prophesies about the coming spirit, and then Peter quotes him in Acts, Peter quotes Joel, there are implications for the marginalized, for those groups, the Gentiles and the slaves and the women. There's implications for them. And this is what Acts 2, or what Joel is saying. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants in those days. I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And the coming revival... The the spirit impartation wasn't exclusive to one group. It wasn't like, oh, the Pharisees will get the spirit because they're so righteous and awesome. They keep the law so well. Yeah, we'll give the spirit to them. Or, well, we'll just give it to the men. Or, we'll just give it to the the rich people. Or, oh, we'll just give it to these guys. Or Or the king, yeah, the king, he needs the spirit. That's how it used to be. Not anymore. Now it's all flesh. This was the spirit for the young and the old and for men, and for women, and all the social demographics, the Spirit was coming to fill every willing heart. There's a girl named Jackie Pullinger, and she was called many, many years ago into missions, and she went to different mission agencies, and they said, no, we won't take you. You're a single girl, and you've got no support, and you know, what do you know anyway? And she said, I don't know. I just feel this. I feel called. I feel this. This voice calling me and calling me and calling me and so she kept going kept trying and eventually she said I can't get away from this so she Bought a ticket and she went to Hong Kong now Just to put this in perspective for us. We have a girl who's gone to Uganda Rebecca and her family feels that Travel from here to there and we've sent her to Uganda to be with a family that is known missionary family and she's gone there and do a context we know and we can say okay we can see that this girl went into nothing and when she got to hong kong she went into the walled city where the police wouldn't go and she began to do ministry there and the way she did it she started was she just would pray she just prayed every day she'd pray and go like, i don't know i don't know what to do and she just would pray and then god would bring people and then god started sending people free addicts would get set free and criminals would begin to change their life and she began to start all these different things and she was just following the spirit of God. God sent a marginalized person to go and reach marginalized people. That's what he did. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 4 says, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. So God, Jesus is, uh, is uh, he's using words. He's also bringing the kingdom in all sorts of other ways. And Jesus, thirdly, is an investment banker. You're like, whoa, you're going to have to explain this one. Jesus is an uh, investment banker. One of my favorite funny stories is where Jesus um, meets some guys and they want him to pay the temple tax. So this isn't the Romans who want him to pay the Roman taxes— it's not the tax collector, tax collectors. This is the temple tax collectors. And so when they would go up to the temple, every Jewish man was supposed to pay their tax. And so you could pay it in Jerusalem or you could pay it in the outlying regions or when, you know, whatever point and you'd get your little stubby ticket and when you'd go, you would have, I see, I paid, I paid my temple tax. So Jesus is there and the guys say, you need to pay your tax. And Jesus is like, oh, okay, fine. You know, so that I don't offend you, I'll pay the tax, but I don't think I need to being that i'm god's son but okay and so jesus says to peter go and cast your line into the water and pull up a fish and then you can pay the tax peter's like okay so he goes in the water drops his line pulls up the fish and in the fish's mouth is just enough money for him and peter to pay their tax and this story is so funny just i i hear that story i'm like jesus just knows where the fish are who are gonna have money in their mouth like, does Jesus need money? Jesus doesn't need money. What, Je- Je- something else, they're like, oh, Jesus, you need to pay this. He'll be like, hey, Peter, go dig over there. There's buried treasure right there. Yeah, I know exactly where it is. Yeah, just dig up all the treasure. And be like, I feel like if Jesus could just do that. He's, there's fish with money in their mouth. He's multiplying bread and, and f- like, fish. Jesus doesn't need money. God is providing for Jesus, even when Jesus is born. You know, he's got this poor carpenter and his mom, and they're in Bethlehem, and they're, they're Herod is coming for them, and then suddenly there's these guys. This is a real picture. <laughs> these guys come, the wise men. God sends wise men to come, and what did they come? They worship, and it says they, they worshiped him, and then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, valuable gifts. What do you think Mary and Joseph did with those? Hey, let's put those up on the mantle. We'll remember it forever. That's great. We'll make a little box for the frankincense, and we'll just keep it up there. Jesus, when you're old enough, you can look at it, okay? They would sell that stuff. That's like, that would keep them going for a long time. And when they ran down to Egypt, they aren't staying with family down there. So it's costing something God provided. God's provided for their living. Jesus is God's son and Jesus has all the access to the treasure of heaven, the resources of heaven. He doesn't need money. So now suddenly I read this passage and I'm like, is Jesus um like fundraising? Or he's like needs his friends to give him money? Like this just seems really awkward. Like these people are going along, "Oh, let me pay for that, Jesus." They're like, "Okay, go ahead." Like what's the deal? See, the deal is this. Giving in the kingdom, is different than any other kind of giving. And the best word to put on this kind of giving in the kingdom is investment. It's like investment. And this is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 20. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, where r- moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys nor where thieves do not break in and steal. That's the picture. There's all these people, especially in the United States, right before it crashed and they had all their investment was put into their pension and they put everything into the 401k and all these things. They're different. Maybe some of you put your investments in. You're preparing well, actually like financially wise. And suddenly it all crashed. And your security, if it was in that, crashed and fell and burned. And there were people who did not know what to do. And this is what Jesus says. He's not like soliciting like a CEO of a charity. He says, this is like investment. I'm allowing you to participate in what I'm doing. What would it be like to support Jesus? I read this and I'm like, people supported Jesus. What would that be like? What would it be like to say, I'm going to give my money and I'm going to give it to Jesus. And then I'm going to go along and be like, oh, he just bought some food with my money. Jesus just ate food with my money. I just gave it. And now Jesus is sleeping in that, in that inn, and that was like, my money paid for that inn. That's so amazing. And then, oh, look, Jesus is like healing these people, and the kingdom is coming, and he's proclaiming these amazing messages. Like, Jesus, I, I'm able to give to Jesus? This is incredible. This is what was happening. These people, their lives were changed, and then they began to give. It wasn't out of like religious obligation. It wasn't, oh, Jesus is coming around again, Oh, I've got to give some money to Jesus. Jesus always wanted my money. When he started this ministry, he didn't have money. You should have saved up some money when you're a carpenter. What were you doing, Jesus? What's the deal? What's going on? People are giving to Jesus because their lives have been changed by Jesus. Transformed. There's a story about Mary, actually. Actually who washes Jesus' feet, and this is what it says in John chapter 12. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Very similar to the story we just talked about last week. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, as Mary does this, she pours this perfume, this ointment on Jesus. Judas freaks out. And he's like, what are you doing? And the reason he freaked out was because 300 denarii, which we've been talking about denarii a lot, denarii is, that's how much it was worth. Now, one denarii is one day's wages. Someone was listening. Phil was listening. One day's wages. So 300 denarii is 300 days wages, or we could put it into the context of a year. It's like if I took my entire year's salary, put it into a jar, Made it into liquid and then poured the liquid out on the floor. My entire year's salary. Okay, because they're like, it's pretty small, isn't it? (laughs) When you get paid pretty. Okay, your entire year's salary. I don't know, but that'd be a big deal to me. Judas is mad. Judas is like, we could give that money to the poor. And John, you know, tells, yeah, that Judas didn't really want to give the money to the poor. But the point is. We could look at that and say, what? That's horrible financial stewardship. What on earth is she doing? She is worshiping Jesus. And Jesus says, this is what she was meant to do. This is meant, she's pouring it out. She's not pouring it out on the floor. She's pouring it on my feet. And it goes into the investment of an eternal kingdom. And when the story is told, thousands of years from now, they will say Mary's name, and they will say Mary without knowing, anointed the body of Jesus before he died. It's not measured on a spreadsheet. It's measured in a kingdom investment portfolio that is eternal. That's what Jesus says. So what are the implications for us? There's two things, I think. One is that uh, this is a picture of worshipful giving. The word actually that's used to serve is is and it means to serve, to minister, and to care for. So these people going, these women going along with Jesus, they were serving and ministering and caring for them. It was this picture of worshipful giving. We're invited not just to send our money to Jesus. Oh, Jesus needs some money. Okay, send him some money. Oh, give him some money. No, you're called to give, to follow, to give your life and follow. And so that involves maybe some money. It involves your time, It involves your abilities, your gifts. Your life is meant to serve Jesus. That's the picture. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. We're sowing and we're trusting that it's going to grow something, whether we can see it or not yet. It's going to grow something. The Bible says, if you sow, you will reap. It will grow something. That's the promise. And the second thing, so this is a picture of worshipful giving, so that's for us. And the other part of this is it's a picture of humble receiving. This is Jesus receiving. I know all sorts of people who will say, I just don't do well with receiving. You know, yeah, I don't like asking for help. I don't like doing that. I just, I can't, I don't like charity. Don't give me your charity. No, I don't do well with charity. Jesus allowed people to, To give into him. Jesus, who needed nothing. Jesus said, you want to give? Sure, give. Yes, I'll allow it. I'll invite it. And so we're invited to set aside our pride or our shame, whichever one is driving it, and to allow people to participate with us, to allow them the invitation to be part of our lives by giving to us. And you have to be able to receive it. Jesus sets the example for us to follow in his humility. To be big enough to receive. So, in conclusion, we are invited to proclaim and to practice the kingdom like Jesus. Jesus is a publicist. We are tasked too with proclaiming the arrival of this incredible kingdom. We are witnesses who testify to what we've seen and heard and experienced, and we experience that in our lives because of what Jesus has done. Jesus is an activist, and we are tasked with bringing the good news to everyone we can find. We become activists for a kingdom that welcomes and sees value in every person. Every person. There is value and there's welcome in the kingdom. Jesus is an investment banker. We are tasked with changing our view of giving and receiving. And Jesus invites us to see it as a sowing and a reaping that we do. And he demonstrates in humility the ability to receive from others. And we could learn this too. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you uh, for who you are. I thank you for three little verses that um, say something about who you are and also say something about um, who we want to be. God, I thank you that um, you sent Jesus and you sent him proclaiming, um, speaking about a kingdom that was here. And God, uh, I pray, Lord, that you'd help us. You'd engage our hearts with um, seeing and experiencing you and then being able to talk about that with the people we're around, people in our jobs, people in our schools, people in our neighborhoods, people at the store, where, wherever we are, and there's people. God, that you would enable us to be so, so overflowing with what you're doing that we can't help but talk about it. Jesus, I thank you, too, that you were an activist, that you cared about those who were second-class citizens, those people who were outcasts, those people who were rejected, And that you came and you brought good news about a kingdom for every heart. That your spirit was going to come and be poured out on every willing heart. And that as we're willing, as we say yes to you, that you fill us with your spirit to change us. Thank you for that. And Jesus, we thank you too um, that you offer us the ability to sow and to reap in a kingdom. that uh, That you invite us to participate with you in what you're doing. And God, I ask that you'd help us to be um, generous people, that we'd live generous lives, but also that we'd be able to, um, in humility like you, be able to receive from one another and uh, that it would make our community stronger and more beautiful and also make our lives stronger and more beautiful. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.